You can put your headset on if you want or not, but that's up to you. I can still hear you. <laughs> no, no, I know, but... <laughs> oh, now I feel official. Now, uh, now you can really hear us, right? media. We, we were unprocessed before, so... <laughs> you ready over there? Yep. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Cardome Studio in Georgetown, Kentucky. It's uh, It's been a minute. I think that's what the cool kids say. Isn't it? It's yeah, been a minute. But we are uh, coming to you for our first show of the new year, 2022. It's also the first week in ordinary time for you Catholics out there, so... I don't know how that works out. First show, first week of Ordinary Time. I'm Deacon Tim Stout. I'm Deacon Dallas Kelly. I'm Father Lynn Wynn. Our guest tonight, today, whenever you're listening to us, is Dr. Ryan Stanton. He's our first two-time guest, as he was on the show all the way back September 11th, 2020, when this pandemic was in its infancy. Let's see, that's what it does. It's <laughs> pandemic. <laughs> you get to recycle the doctor. <laughs> Welcome to the show. I appreciate it. Hey, good to have you back. Uh, hey, we're still in this pandemic Guess a year what? and a half later. What does that mean? Well, it just means at this point, everybody, you can turn us off and put in the movie Groundhog Day and and, and watch it all over again because I feel like we are we are just full on recycling. Uh, we've got our recycling program of a pandemic here where we have wave after wave currently now in this Omicron variant. Um, you know, from a healthcare standpoint, we have this huge. Uh, conflagration, if we're going to use this as a good word, meaning fire, I guess, um, of of staffing, um, patient surges, and burnout, and bed availability. And so it's really been just a huge struggle and challenge. And even when we were here September 11th of 2020, I don't think we could have, have predicted that we would still be talking about it as an active problem in 2022. I think we all thought at this point it was going to be at least not if necessarily gone, potentially an afterthought. Yeah, I mean, it, one of the things that I think that's kind of unique is we have good representation here. We have Father Lynn, who's got the spiritual side, church side of it. Dallas is teaching in the school. I'm on the private industry side. You're in a lot of different aspects, healthcare, but you also work with the fire department, other first responders. Everybody's kind of adapted to a certain extent, but we can't seem to outrun it. No, not right now, and and that's that's one of our the uh, fallacy of of the human condition is assuming that we can tackle and tame nature. Um, I mean, we we we've done pretty well domesticating the dog, but you know, when it comes to <laughs> um, when it comes to things such as viruses and and infections and and the inner workings, you know, there's so much that is still that. We are not going to master. We are not. We we have to lear, learn basically to live in a symbiosis with our environment and the things that it's going to do. Um, and we all are on the same pathway. And and as our bodies age, they become more susceptible to the environment. And that is exactly what we're seeing here. And the challenge is that you know I think we assumed that just because we were we can either politics our way out of it, we could either think our way out of it. But honestly. A virus doesn't care who you voted for, which country you're from, where you were born. All it cares about is doing its thing, which is finding a host so it can reproduce. And that's exactly what these viruses do. And I think we're at the point now, I always tell my students, my you know people I work with, my kids, nothing gets better when you panic. And so there's no reason to panic. It's do what we can do with the stuff we've got right now, which we are better now than we were two years ago in terms of our technology, our knowledge of this, our tools we have to fight it. And we just have to work with it and make wise decisions and honestly just 
move on as best we possibly can and and just deal with the things as they're here. We can't just we can't continue two years into our lives of this to com- be completely off the rails just COVID. Have to you know there's still life and industry and and things in school. I mean that's one of the most important things that we have to make sure that we are doing in order to make sure that uh, our lives can continue as best they can. Yeah, I mean. From I'm in the mining business, so our guys are kind of separated when they go underground and different stuff. So we've we've managed it, but business has to manage it very quickly, or you're going to be out of business. Schools, they've been up and down, obviously, right? Teachers out, trying to make it's a headache for our principal anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and there's nobody that's exempt from it. Even on the church side, just you know, we've been we still have an outdoor mass here. We still give that opportunity for folks so that if, cause there's still a lot of fear. I mean, I, I saw a stat the other day. It was actually one in Lexington where might've been uh, St. Joe's, but anyway, they, they said so many people came into the ER and like one night, 35% of them tested positive, but they were all there because they thought they had COVID. So that has to be fueled by fear, right? Well, a lot of it. I mean, it's a natural human condition to have fear, to be afraid of the things we don't know and don't understand. Um, we've heard, we hear all these things that are coming out about, you know, the complications, admissions, the deaths, these new variants. They have trendy names. So, you know, you got Omicron. I mean, it sounds like it's going to do bad things to you. Um, and and you get that, and you have these symptoms, and you feel terrible. And really, a lot of healthcare isn't necessarily about what I can do. I mean, there's there's things that we can do, but with viruses especially, it's really about your own immune system and human body and trying – we give you stuff symptomatically to help you feel better. But really what people want is information. They want to know. They don't want to th- assume they have COVID. They want to know. They want that red the red box for positive or, the, or just the blank thing for negative, and they want to know exactly what it is so they can kind of decide and kind of process through their mind uh, where things are going. And I think, honestly, the best healthcare settings – not just writing prescriptions, but it's really about providing the information, the education. Uh, what are you, What is the expected course? Where am I going to go from here? Okay, so with COVID, this could last anywhere from about 3 to 14 days on average. For some people, it's going to be the short end. For others, it's going to be even longer. The most important thing that you're going to do is rest, stay hydrated, uh, control your fever, um, still try to eat as best you can when you may or may not have the sense of taste and smell. Uh, but then, uh, but, but, you'll monitor, you know, for that auction. The thing we really worry about, the, the reason most people are going to pass away from COVID is because of the respiratory complications associated with it. And we also see a lot of the clotting with pulmonary emboli and such. But um, those are the things we want to monitor. And, and when folks are coming in, it's really because they have questions and they need the answers and then expect what's going to be the next step from here. Just, I mean, I just can't imagine what it's like in the ER. I mean, you've obviously seen a lot of death in the last two years, correct? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, even, uh, unfortunately, COVID's taken up a, a, a big share of that. Um, you know, people that you're admitting. that That's honestly, seeing death as, as a physician is, is nothing new and different. I mean, you, you just kind of get where you almost, it's second nature. I mean, because you have to walk into a room, pronounce somebody, and then you have to walk into the next room and act like nothing's ever happened. I can't carry that into the next room. Uh, with that patient, and so you you basically have to put that in the put that in the jar, put it on the shelf, and then move on. You process things later. I think one of the hardest things in healthcare is is the people you know are going to die, but they don't know it yet. So whether it's the diagnosis of cancer, 
you know, we diagnose a lot of, especially now during the pandemic, a lot of late stage cancer in the emergency department. And is I, that because of the delay in people going delay, to get screenings or whatever? Their screening exams and things like that. Um, and so they come in with pancreatic cancer, lung cancer, and just with the experience and time, I know the path it's going to take, you know, and, and we want to give people hope. But at the same time, you also, you know, certain types of cancer, certain types of stages of cancer, other comorbid conditions. But even with COVID, you know, people coming in with certain disease processes, certain parts, looking at the CT scan, oxygen saturations in the 70s and things like that, you know that it's a good chance they are going to die. And to me, that's one of the hardest parts of healthcare is is kind of almost seeing into that crystal ball somebody's future. And not being able to really grasp that that's going to really happen because somebody may be looking at you and talking with you just as as we are right here. And then knowing, though, that the biggest question in life a lot of times is when's when does the sand run out of the hourglass? And for some people, unfortunately, we know. And it may not be exact, but that's that's I think that's the toughest and been the toughest because we've had a lot of that burden through COVID. How, how have we been as far as a parish goes, as far as deaths? couple of years. I mean, I know we've had our normal share, but have many of those been from COVID? Actually, I bury uh, six people die from, well, you got COVID complication and what is maybe is. Uh, the, the thing I dealt with the most is very fear. Fear is a real thing. And the anxiousness. Um, so I work with people in a way to kind of nudge them to live their normal life the best that they can, try to get themselves out of the house. Mm-hmm. Uh, try to connect with people, sometimes association. You know, sometimes I kind of guilt them. You need to go to church. <laughs> Not because it's good for you, but it definitely is good for, for social interaction. Uh, put a mask on and, you know, do all kind of short creative things and try to get them just get off the mode of afraid of death. Uh, it's real. Fear, fear is right now, I think, is a top of the chart. Everything that we do right now with this COVID, I think. When you shouldn't, and, <clears throat> and just as you mentioned, there's there's no reason to sit on the couch and wait for death. It, it'll find everybody eventually, but don't go chasing it. Right. Um, and we do know the benefit of the mental wellness. That is such a player. We know um, that whether that faith um, and a positive outlook means po- better outcomes, even if you do get sick. So if you have somebody who has cancer, exact same stage of cancer. If somebody has a positive outlook, a well-grounded faith, and somebody does not, the outcomes will likely be different. And there's so much to the inner wellness, the mental aspect of, of healing, of disease processes. A lot of the ways we think and a lot of the ways our emotions are and stress and anxiety, they have negative impacts on the immune system. They have negative impacts on healing. Going into things with positive, with healthier diets, exercise, getting outside, sunlight, those types of things, those all encourage and promote our body to have a more likely chance of healing. Is there anything perfect? No, there's nothing. There's nothing perfect that's going to say absolutely you're going to have a bad outcome and absolutely have a good outcome. I mean, that's the hardest thing of COVID is we know that if you're over age 75, 85, you have a lot of risk factors and then that's where your numbers really go up. But there's still young people that are going to die. There's still young people that are going to have complications. And the one thing to stress, and we, we really get hung up on the death side of it, but for many, it's death is not always the worst outcome with regard to diseases. Sometimes the damage it leaves behind, you know, for people that are chronically, you know, attached to significant amounts of oxygen, 
uh, that can't get up and walk because they get short of breath. You know, psychosis associated with the neurologic deficits associated with it. There's a lot of long-term damage. And there's actually concern that we are talking about in the healthcare communities, especially with children, of a significant increase of heart attacks and uh, heart attack strokes and things of that nature from the vasculitis, the inflammation of the blood vessels that we're going to see in 20 to 30 years, um, leftovers from these. You used to see those back in the day of polio and other uh, infections that came through. Uh, but, you know, we think we may see similar with that as well. Uh, but, you know, that and that's that's not treatable at this point. No, we can't we can't reverse. I mean, basically, the damage is being done by our own immune system. The virus really isn't tearing much up itself. It's the fact that our immune system, the only way you kill a virus is by killing the cell that it's living in. And so the body goes in and tries to fix the problem. But by doing so, damages the body. And so it's um, the, the immune system is an inflammatory process. Any inflammatory process uh, leads to scarring, rigidity, aging, um, you know, potentially uh, closures. You know, that's the uh, heart attacks are many times are caused by an inflammatory process within the blood vessels of the uh, coronary arteries. Um, you get inflammation, you get the clot burden, it builds up quickly and closes off strokes, very similar. So you couple that side of it with the psychological impact on our kids? I mean... Well, what's what's that look like? Well, what's in your and, your view? And that's, and that's you know, and that's an interesting will be the interesting viewpoint from inside the school system. Is I've been one that's from very early thought that we need to do our best to get our kids back into school. We know that we can significantly decrease the risk to the kids, uh, to the children, and and to the staff for for the most part. Uh, but the importance, the kids have a very narrow window where they establish who they are and what they're going to be. Not necessarily career-based, but you know, just establishing those behaviors, interactions, how do you communicate, how do you have social interactions. And those are built many times within schools with these other kids that come from other backgrounds and learning how to work together. And I think not just the scholastic aspect of which is huge, you know, because so many homes don't ha- don't have a focus or the ability to promote an education at home long term. Short term, fine. Snow days, whatever. But when we're talking about for a year or you know, semester, a year, two years, um, there's the combination of those. It's the social interactions, the social development, getting those brain pathways established, and of course the, scho- the scholastic aspect, um, where I think we're going to see probably a pretty significant disparity not only socially, but also scholastically with kids uh, left over from the pandemic. How's school for you? <laughs> how, how are the kids? The, the, if you're talking psychologically, they're, they're great. I, I was, uh, even today, uh, most of them, was, you, I, when are we going to get this mask off? I just want the mask <laughs> off, you know. And they, to me, they, the ones I'm seeing, I don't have any fear of, Need wanting to take the mask. I do have few, a few, even I believe when the masks become optional at our school, I can see them keeping them on. But uh, most of them, there's no fear at all in my kids. Yeah, the, the Scott County school system, which obviously the Catholic school is not a part of that, but the Scott County school system just voted Tuesday night to keep the mask mandate. Uh, I was following online on the Facebook. Uh, that was very... Uh, the comment section was very alive, should I say? Oh yeah, there's that's that's and that, anything in media wise, uh, whether it be a meeting or anything like that, the comment section is rarely going to add positive value. <laughs> it's pretty rarely. funny. It, it can be funny, but sometimes you just want to bang your head against the wall. I know uh, the uh, the mass mandate 
really the teacher's part of it, I think, is probably one of the challenging parts of it is keeping the kids in their mask, you know, and that's obviously grade level dependent. I can't imagine first graders or second. My wife teaches fourth grade, and I know it's hard for her, but when you get younger than that, how difficult trying that would to keep be. a mask on them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, like I say, we run a quite a fortunate school that we're small enough, we manage well enough. But one thing I do encounter some of our kids in kindergarten or first grade as they go through religion with me. You're right. The impact, some of them can't even read because they require to stay home last year. They can't even read. This is second grade. Well, I mean, if you think about it, a, six, a six-year-old has lived a third of their life with COVID. Oh, yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. It just, it, it's, it, it, we, we, we're, I live in Jessamine County. Uh, kids go to Trinity, and and the, the, we, you don't want to talk about the mess stuff there. And but the you know when we were doing the NTI days, one of the first counties to do the NTI days was Snow, and they were in public school down in Jessamine County at that point at Rosenwald Dunbar. And um, my kids, we we missed something on the NTI and didn't have it or whatever, and apologized. I'm like, what are you talking about? There's twenty twenty eight kids or whoever many are in this class, and. Uh, and these two, your daughter was one of only of two that did anything. And, you know, and that's, that's the challenge is it's not, if you don't have, and it's hard enough, you know, with, especially this day and age where parents are working often both parents, but of course, in in single parent households, kids that are with, um, non-traditional in terms of grandparents or whatever it may be, relatives to say, not only for a few days of snow, you need to help wrangle that. And and to not only do your own life and household things, but also make sure the kids are getting a quality education, doing the things they do. It now we're going to do it for a semester or a year, and it's near impossible for almost anybody. The best parents out there are going to struggle with this over time, uh, just because of everything else. We don't schedule our lives to say we can also pull in an extra eight hours per day for 150 <laughs> days a year to te- to assist and promote teaching our children. Yeah, and it, then you get the case where everybody knows that the kids are behind, right? Harder than heck to, to catch that up. But then you give these administrators in the public schools that are still just worried about the testing. <laughs> you know, yeah. how come your how come your class is not testing at the right level? It, it what did they expect? Uh, hey, listen, we could just just with the chips for your trucks and cars. I mean, we're here in Georgetown, so your Toyotas. Um, you can you, you know, Jesus State hashtag COVID to everything. It's something I can't get something. Something's out. The toilet paper's been bought up. Hashtag COVID is what happens. What, which the, what's the biggest thing you've experienced for that you wanted to get but you couldn't get personally? Oh, the biggest, the most important thing? I mean, other than the fact that we're struggling to get epinephrine for uh, the hospitals and EMS right now, uh, which is pretty important. Um, real, I'm trying to think what it is. Oh, a lot of it is uh, the things for motorsports, like just the things that you know we have to have for safety equipment, like our helmets. Uh, suits, uh, things of that nature. Uh, last year, the trucks that we're using to respond to vehicle incidents on the track, yep. we couldn't replace them because most of them were up at Kentucky Speedway waiting for a waiting chip. for a chip. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and um, and and so you you know that's it's always something. Um, and I'm amazed at things that's going to say uh, with COVID, this is going to take forever to get there, and then two days later it shows up, and then. Nothing, and then oh, by the way, eight months later, something shows up. Oh, I forgot I ordered all that. I for, forgot I ordered that. I Maybe think it, it, every day it's something new. It can be as complicated as a truck. So we 
we haul rock in the back of triaxles and all the trucks for 2022 were already all purchased that they were going to make. They were already purchased like in September of last year. So you weren't going to buy any. If you didn't buy it already, you weren't going to get it in 2022. But then it could be as simple as a nut or a bolt. Mm-hmm. You know, something that you used to going down to the local hardware store to go get. You walk into the hardware store and they look at you like you're crazy because don't you know there's a pandemic going on you're not you're not going to get this i mean don't did, didn't you realize the yellow widgets are only in fact the you know just down to the simple aspect of glass um you know there's there's a thought that part of the bourbon industry is is part of the supply and demand right now is the fact that that plenty of bourbon is being aged of course i mean we've got 16 million barrels now in the commonwealth aging they just don't have the glass to put it in in quantities necessary yeah, so that means we're going to get a lot more aged bourbon. That's my that's my hope. The, the Pappy the Pappy Thirty, which uh, tastes more like the side <laughs> the, of a tree. The thing on the shelf that I miss the most is uh, you can't find it. Snapple Diet Tea. I'm addicted. I'm addicted to it. Must be the glass. They have my, my glasses. My wife calls me at school today. She said, "I'm in Kroger. They got your Snapple Tea. I bought every case." <laughs> See, it's the 2022 toilet paper. And so if anybody out there is listening, I got your tea. If you're a tea addict like so, me. So, Kelt, my wife, she likes Big K Diet Lemon Lime. And whenever we go to the Kroger, we buy everything that we can, all of it we can get. And usually there's one. Nine times out of ten, there's none. But Steve's over there shaking his head because what, his drink is Diet Right. What is Diet Right? And I know oh he, he he's stopping at all the Kroger's between here in Cincinnati <laughs> and buying everything they've got. I'm his unofficial doctor. You don't need to tell me this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, part part, and that contributes to the problem, right? Because when we don't see it for so long, right. and then we see it, we're going to buy it. All right. So I want to know if I, I, I doubt that anybody here has actually seen it. My favorite soda is called Doctor Enough. So, I heard that. So, okay, so Doctor Enough is uh, the company is Johnson City Bottling, Johnson City, Tennessee, where I grew up for twenty years. They they were the same came, company that that initiated and created Mountain Dew, and then they sold Mountain Dew because they didn't have the capacity. Theoretically, from what I heard, that they couldn't didn't have the capacity to do both, and so they kept uh, Doctor Enough, which has got a lot of niacin, so it's vitamin the, the vitamin the B vitamins, uh, so niacin, thiamine, those types of things, and basically a rally pack in a bottle. Uh, if if you're medical out there. Um, Oh, it's and, good for you. Oh, it, well, as for a soda, it's got it's it's got. Does it come in diet? Yes, it does. It does, but it's, it, I mean, the regular one has it's cane sugar, and it's got probably more sugar than a field of cane sugar. And, um, but they only had it in East Tennessee. Well, about two. Well, right before COVID, they started selling it at um, at oh shoot, Cracker Barrel. So those old-fashioned, old yeah. Oh, models. like in the coolers or whatever right so there? So those things on the side, yeah. Dr. Enough. So you can try it. And for me, I I'm going to have it. to, you know, it's you're a, a good commercial. I'm going to have to stop. Oh, you got to try it. It's, it's, if, if Sprite and ginger ale had a baby. Not quite. So ale ate sweeter. This one is more on the Sprite Caffeine? Side. Oh, gosh. <laughs> if you want to do roofing, you won't need a laugh. <laughs> Dr. Enough. E-N-U-F. U-F. Enough. I'm going to put that in the show notes, too, but... I'm a tryer. I'll, I'll try it at uh, the Cracker Barrel. What about you? What's something uh, you've gone to buy that you can't buy? Nothing. Uh, you get I a, just don't go. You, you, yeah, <laughs> you lead a simple life. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Very simple. <laughs> interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, so we've, we've uh, 
we've made a lot of steps. Uh, one of the things I think that's frustrating for a lot of folks out there is this this testing side. I'm, I'll tell you a little story, and then you can tell me what to make of that. So <clears throat> my wife and, and I, we both have been vaccinated. Uh, we both have had COVID before vaccination, um, and we've both been boosted. So we're supposed to go to uh, Atlanta for New Year's Eve. She starts to feel unwell. She goes and says, I'm going to get tested because we're going to visit some people that did you lose me? There it is. Immune compromise. So needed a test. So she goes to the health department. They say it'll be 24 to 72 hours to get your result. She says, okay. 48 hours in, we have nothing. We're trying to make a decision. She's trying to get a rapid test. Can't get it. One opens up. She goes and gets a rapid test. She's positive. 12 days later, we stayed home, by the way. 12 days later, she gets the result from the health department, and she's negative. Was she positive or was she negative? Well, the thing is, you also you, you have to parse it out even further. Positive, negative, in terms of infection, are you actually infected, or is it just exposure? So basically, what those tests are picking up is the viral particles. So the PCR and antigen testing are looking for those certain changes within your nasopharynx, and um, so we don't 100 percent know the test. If they say positive, are very specific. So you have your sensitivity and your specificity. Sensitivity means if you have something, what are the chances it's going to find it? So the, the sensitivity is lower in these tests, usually in the range of the upper 80s to around 90, mid-80s or so. Specificity, if you test positive, are in the upper 90s. So meaning that if it says you're positive, there's a 90, let's say in this case, 7% chance that you actually have it, that it detected it accurately. But just because it detected it doesn't mean that you are actually infected with COVID-19. You may have been exposed. You may just have some have been around somebody. You may have, you know, some of that in in within your nasopharynx. So it doesn't necessarily mean you're acutely ill. Now it sounds like she was, and that's what we're seeing with Omicron, is the fact that you know not only with this new longer hook, I, I call it like Velcro, the Velcro got longer so it can grab easier to the cells. And it's bypassing the, not only the natural immunity, but also the vaccine immunity. So the vaccines are kind of doing now what they initially intended, which is decreasing the morbidity and mortality risk of you going to the ICU, getting admitted to the hospital ICU and death. So it's still doing that incredibly well. And we're seeing with, especially with fully vaccinated people that um, for the most part, for many uh, the disease is with COVID now is relatively mild, and many people just felt a little bit uh, absolutely. ill, sore throat. You know, this one does have a lot more sore throat than any of the prior variants, uh, probably because of that long hook is catching it farther up into the upper airway as opposed to getting down to the lower airway. So, you know, that's is did yeah, she probably had it. That those symptoms probably were Omicron. I just expected it to be reversed, though, right? The the rapid test to say. A lot of it's timing. Negative. And on then, what it's looking for. Are you looking for the antigens or are you doing a PCR of the RNA strain, uh, strand? And so a lot of it is exactly what you're looking for in the timing. So COVID-sniffing dogs can pick it up about two days before people get symptoms. So that's a real thing. Oh, yeah. We use them for NASCAR. Okay. We'll, come, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll, okay. we'll circle back to that. So they can, pick up, they can pick it up about two days before. You know, a lot of these other tests, rapid tests, you have to build up that viral load enough that you can actually – detect it so in the first day or two it's not picking up very well several days in which it sounds like we're talking about two days later right you've actually got that number up and so the farther you get into symptoms the more accurate the test is in terms of detecting COVID itself up to a certain point 
It's not unusual to have a negative <laughs> on your first day of your of, of symptoms. Really? Yeah. There you go. You heard it here first. I think it's it's confusing. It's confusing to people. Plus, people can't get tests, right? There's a, well, there is a you know we still got a half a billion that are coming out somewhere. You know, and these are all antigen tests. They're, they're on their way. They're on their way. They're, they're, they're in the government truck. They're in the IRS vehicle. They're with the chips. They're with, <laughs> yeah. the, with the chips to the trucks and the cars. Uh, but you know, the you know the tests are there, and the, the, most of those are going to be the rapid antigen based tests. Those are all uh, we've actually used those a fair amount in motorsports. We have seen positives. We've seen a lot of negatives. I mean, they seem to be doing pretty well, and it's a good screening tool. Uh, but, you know, the thing is now to just understand with how much COVID we're seeing is to put it in context. You know, a lot of people are going to have COVID, not know it. We think we're probably picking up about a third of it that are actually out there uh, with testing. Um, you know, use some you, – if you want to know the answer, fantastic. A negative does not mean negative. A positive doesn't mean that you're necessarily still contagious. Um, you know, just, just use, use it in context. And that's the challenge right now is the information gaps have been giant the last two years. So you said picking up a third of that. Does that mean if we have a positivity rate of 20, you think it's more like 50? Well, no, not the tests. Okay. I just think probably two, the remaining aren't getting tested. Aren't getting tested. Aren't getting tested. But they're, they're still positive. positive. So what do you, what, what do you think the positivity rate is across the country right now? Uh, if you look at the numbers, we're probably pushing anywhere from two to three million new cases a day. Um, and that's why this spike is so sharp. I mean, it's it's just rocketing up right now. And probably within a week or two, I'm not sure exactly uh, when, when you know, this is when we're going out. Uh, but, you know, this these the number is going to start dropping off within a week or two. Um, as if we keep the pace with the rest of the world with Omicron, is it's a huge spike up and a relatively quick spike back down, and not going to be this wide swath that we saw with Delta or some of the other variants. And you know that's that's, and we can you know talk about you know hopefully this is what we kind of talked about before we get started that this is a natural progression of viruses. They tend to have wave, 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 and then they have this huge flame out, just like stars do. You know, stars have this huge supernova right before they implode and cave in on themselves. And the thought is, and what would be wonderful, is if this is kind of the supernova of the um, of, of the virus, and it does this quick spike up, and the combination of, of vaccines, natural immunity, exposures, that this is the last of the big spikes. What would that look like? I would hope. I, I mean, I, at, at that would point— Would it be just, you know, just back to normal? I think as close as you can get to normal. I mean, uh, back to normal with 850,000 fewer Americans that we had before. I mean, that's the that's the unfortunate toll as we've lost one in a hundred people over age 75 to it um, is, you know, it's going to be different. And I think it, and it should and it better change the way in terms of medicine and healthcare and public health that we prepare for large scale national epidemics and pandemics. We are clearly very good at localized disasters. We respond very well to tornadoes and to hurricanes. What we have uncovered is that we are not ready when the entire country is involved. Yeah, the whether no matter what side of the political aisle you're on, both of them haven't done very well. Yeah, and and, and you can look at and that's that's probably it. If you look at most of the states, whether right or left, um, so they have some have made good decisions. You know, some some are good decisions, some are bad decisions. Nobody's made the absolute right decisions. Uh, if you hear a healthcare professional that has said the exact same thing the entire time, they are wrong uh, because we've learned so much new stuff, and we were so ignorant about this thing uh, early on. Um, and we what the 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 coolest the kind of a 
cool thing and a curse of this is everybody in the public has gotten to see the entire scientific process play out on the media. And the worst thing that's happened is where it's gotten politicized. That made it near impossible. Right, in the hearings where Dr. Fauci and Dr. Rand Paul are oh, yeah. boxing. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're going at it. And, you know, they're, they're fighting over things. That, so politics jump in, and which makes anything difficult uh, just because we're so staunch in, our, in most people or many. I don't want to say most. I mean, I think a, a decent percentage on each side are pretty, uh, pretty dug in on their political be, uh, beliefs. And, you know, there's a lot of people in the middle. But, you know, with this – you see that science is not always clean. It's not perfect. You know, whether you look at uh, the hydrochlorothiazide or whether you look at the ivermectin, you know, it takes time to do science, to do the test, and that one study is for generating a hypothesis. Another type of study is the one that shows that it's widespread beneficial or harmful to people. And so it takes time, and it's not clean, and it's not perfect, and not all doctors agree, and not all scientists are on the same page. And so I think that has made it difficult because almost everybody said, well, I heard Dr. So-and-so or so-and-so meant to say this, and it may be completely off the rails. Just because you have an MD or DO after your name, including myself, doesn't mean you're right. I just That was your question. Wasn't it? I think that? he answered your question. You yeah. and I, said, I said, you got a question for the doc, yeah. and you said – what happens when one doctor tells you something and then another doctor tells you the exact opposite? <laughs> it usually means that we don't actually have a firm answer either way. <laughs> but I did think of two new guests that I'm going to try to get on our next show. Dr. Fauci, Senator Rand Paul. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Can you imagine? Cardone would never, I, they'd never be the same. Our, our, I guarantee our listenership will go up a little bit. There's a little bit. The padding on this wall is not strong enough for that. You know, the thing about that, I'm, I'm not a Dr. Fauci fan. But the guy is a public servant, you know, and just he, like you said, what the, he, the highest paid. Well, OK, so. but just like <laughs> what you said, I mean, everybody's going back and quoting him what he said a year and a half ago. And if that was still true today, then the pandemic would be over. But obviously things change and you can't. I mean, I'm, you're, you're a medical doctor. It's the same thing in the scientific community when you talk about, you know, mathematic equation or proving something you know there's a whole lot of theorems that never get proven and it's the same thing in the medical side of it you have a theory you go down that road and you try to develop something sometimes it's right sometimes it's wrong right there wasn't too many hundreds of years ago that everybody in this world was fully convinced and proved that the world was flat and that the sun rotated around us um and you know it took uh, and now it's just the opposite where um, that – so it's – with information and medicine is the most important aspect of that. You know, we, medicine uh, likely led to the death of our first president uh, with believing we could blood let out the infection uh, with George Washington. And if we stayed with stuff just because it's the way we've always done it without taking into account new information and changing the way we do things, it would be really interesting to put together – what I said in September of 2020 to now to see what is different. There are some things that are very similar that are the same. COVID still stinks. But there's there's things that I have learned and done differently and medication-wise and mask-wise and prevention-wise and that, that would be a flip 180. And if I was in politics, that would be used as the reason I couldn't get reelected. <laughs> that you'd use yourself against you. Yeah. That's myself. Well, you know. The mask is a is a great example. We we all have plenty of masks now. Mm-hmm. There are not there is not a shortage of mask, but there is a, still a shortage of 
N95 mask. Am I mm-hmm. correct in saying that? Or is are the hospital and healthcare workers still reusing those beyond what or well, different I mean, than what well, it started? Remember, they were all designed as a single use. Right. All of those, like that one, those are a single use. You go in, do the job, come out, and you're done with it. Um, we are not where we were before. Before you used it until it broke. There's studies that have come out since then showing that you are losing efficacy and safety and fit of that mask within hours. Wow. Um, that a, a significant wow. proportion stop, that aren't, aren't as effective at four hours. All of them are leaking at the end of a shift. Um, and but what we know is that if you know if you know a lot of physicians and nurses especially working in pediatrics, emergency medicine, you know, places on the front lines that deal with a bunch of illness, they don't get sick very often, probably because we get these little tiny aliquots of these infections all the time. I've probably been in, exposed to so much flu already and so much strep and so much COVID that our bodies kind of acclimate to it slowly. The problem we have with infections like these, especially now with what we're seeing, is with the number of people, we are constantly bombarded with these huge doses of COVID-19. And so it's overpowering any type of natural immunity, the vaccine immunity that we may have. And so, you know, the masks are, are beneficial for us. Um, but I, I hope in September of 2020, I was saying that it's not, it's a tool uh, that may ha- that has some benefit, but it was definitely never the solution. And the government's going to have masks for everybody. I just read that today. The government's buying masks for everybody. In ninety five percent, and actually, there's concern in the healthcare industry that it may. That was the concern with recommending part of the early recommendation recommendations from the CDC on using the uh, cotton masks and whatever was basically so people weren't going out and buying all of the. Healthcare quality masks, so they could stay in healthcare. Right. And the concern is now: Do we have the supply chains right now to supply every American with an N95 mask and still stock all the healthcare needs? <laughs> we can't get chips for our cars. <laughs> now all of a sudden we can produce and the testing. Ain't they going to send out testing? To yeah, five hundred million. million. Five hundred million tests at home tests. Will that be a? I'm assuming that's a rapid test. I think it's like the Bionox. It's the ones you can like pick up at drugstores now. If, um, if you could find them. Yeah. But okay. I've seen a news clip where they, you know, vice president said, uh, I think it was the testing will be mailed out within the week. Right. And yeah. then they interviewed, I think they interviewed the people who make them and they were like, uh, <laughs> uh I, don't I don't think so. Box. And that's been <laughs> yeah. The problem is, is for us, we've been, we've got like eight tests that we use in the hospital, eight different ones. And which ones we use fluctuates based on the supplies we can get. And so the reagents, the storage media, the swabs, every week it's something different that we're short on, and so we change which technique we're using. It kind of makes you guys really humble, isn't it? <laughs> oh, there's, I think this is the first time that, for the most part, uh, that medicine got scared uh, because, you know, we're used to being around diseases. I mean, it's very rarely that, you know, people, you know, you walk into a room and just very casually with all these infectious diseases and things of that nature. But, you know, there was, a, there was a lot of fear and I've lost a lot of, well, a number of physician friends around the country uh, to COVID-19. But um, in the end, you know, right now, I think we're just all ready to get it all back to normal to where we can see people's faces again and not have to be worried every single time somebody comes in and wait 90 minutes after a room is left in order to clean it to prevent the next person from getting COVID. You know, all those things that we're having to do that's disrupted. And of course, with families out there, it's visitation. Right. You know, limitations on visitation. That was one of the toughest things during COVID in the early stages is people dying and not having anybody around. 
Yeah, I didn't see my mom in a nursing home for nine months. Oh, it, I mean, and that, that impact imagine. on her was unbelievable. The psychological impact. I mean, that's it's honestly like the young where we wanted to get them together. It's the elderly saying for nine months you can't come out of your room. That's torture. Oh, it is. I'll tell you one of the. Th- I miss the most is seeing people's faces. I miss yeah. it terribly. And that's a big I, part. That's a big part of healthcare. I, right? I see Everything. some of my kids. I see them out in the stores. This weekend, I'm preaching, and I see. I'm as I'm preaching, I see what I think is one of my kids. But he doesn't have a mask on, and I'm not sure. So I asked him. He said, "Yeah, I was there." I was like, <laughs> "Didn't even recognize you." you I, honestly, if I had probably 75 percent of my ER staff because it's flipped over so much, if I saw them out and about, I probably wouldn't recognize them without a mask because now I identify people. By their eyes, their yeah, eyes and their eyebrows, exactly the top right. of their yes. head. And so when you see the rest of your face, you're like, I don't know, because usually most people identify eyes, mouth, chin structure, facial hair, those types of things. It's the same thing in the cycling community. When I didn't recognize, if somebody didn't have their, their helmet on, I didn't recognize <laughs> who, they, who they were, right? I mean, because it's such an important yeah. part of relationship, right? That, I mean, the eyes, the gateway to the soul, just take in a lot more information than we really think that that it does and what's your trigger and that's and what what do you i mean each person's a little bit different in terms of what they use to for that recognition but I, this will significantly change probably the way we recognize people and the way we talk to people um you know f- for so long it was actually it was kind of good because i didn't have to worry about my face game you know, you know <laughs> somebody said something i didn't have to worry about which facial expression i made you, are you serious look <laughs> uh, you just you just had to really focus on your eyebrows doing <laughs> what they need to do you know, I was amazed, uh, shared with you, I was in the ER with my mom this, this week, and one of the one of your colleagues was out with a, a person, a man that they brought in, uh, EMS. He was obviously hard of hearing, very old. And I watched the doctor interact with him, and I was it gave me a great sense of humanity because I, I don't know how long he'd been working, but he handled that man so well. I, w- I, was, I was surprised. I was really shocked. And you'll be that's one of the skills of emergency medicine. You know, is you know we'll go into a room and we'll have somebody who's just had something bad. Somebody passed away. We walk into the next room, have to act like everything is back to normal, and then interacting with people. I mean, and and that's one of the most important things because there has been a lot of there's been a big uptick uptick in verbal and physical abuse against healthcare workers, um, especially in the ER setting, and is to understand that. There's human beings on both sides. And for us, the hardest thing to remember is that it's not just a case and a diagnosis. That is a human being. And to them, that is the most important thing happening at that moment. To me, it's one of 30 things that I've diagnosed that right. day. Um, and so having understanding that personal engagement nature. But then when people come to the ER as patients and visitors, understanding that you've got staffs that have now been pounded for two years with COVID and risk of infection and worry about taking things home to families and things being disrupted. I mean, it's, I think one of the most important things we could get out of this if we can is just understanding the human element. And the most important of that thing of that human element is our ability to be a community, even if we're different. I mean, I, it, you don't like Fauci, whether I do or not. He's still a person, man. <laughs> we can still be friends. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. It, it, whether we all agree or not. Well, we've been fighting that for a long time. Oh, yeah. Still be friends, no matter what your uh, oh, we, political we, views are. We've we've lost our ability in this country to dialogue through differences, mm-hmm. right? I mean, if you if you have a different viewpoint than I do on 
whatever today, today it's COVID, right? Anything related to COVID, then you're not my friend. You can't be my friend, which is, is completely ridiculous. But if we agree on everything, it's just a short conversation. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty boring too. I mean, the, the most interesting conversations is when we're not on the same page. And when we're open enough to listen to the other person's viewpoint, to understand where they got it, where they come from, and to reexamine where I am, uh, because that's part of that's part of maturity and knowledge and intelligence is the ability to take it where you are now and reassess it based on differing views or new new information and grow from that. And I think we. We need that more. We need to be able to have That's those conversations. That's too much work. <laughs> I know it is work, That's isn't it? too much work. <laughs> but COVID's made it worse because it put us all for months and months completely uh, separated separate from everybody from else. Times, yep. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like the signs I've seen, not by the Catholic Church, but some, some it's non-denominational church when I'm driving down the road. Be nice. It doesn't say agree with everybody. Right. Right. It doesn't say your point of view is right or their point of view is wrong. It's just be nice. And that's one of the things that I try to do in, in most settings now because – and I shared this when I preached it on Christmas Eve is I went into Christmas Eve Kroger half hour before they closed and the cashier – I was with my son and the cashier just looked you know, totally frazzled. And I say, what, what, what do you say when you're leaving Kroger to the cashier on Christmas Eve? You say Merry Christmas. Yep. And I, I walked out the front door there and son said uh, – I don't think she's having a Merry Christmas, Dad. And, and you know, he's right. <laughs> I mean, she's there's a there's an article that I read this morning doing a lot of reading about grocery workers and the impact on grocery workers, how they've, they've never had any time off. Frontline workers, very similar to, to health care. And think of the number of people that they're interacting with and stress. Hey, you don't have my my drinks, my, my tea, <laughs> you Where's don't my, my tea. tea. And the, that's who gets the brunt of it. So, you know, it, it's just, just be nice. But hey, hope you're, you know, hope you're we, having We've a made it a point to always give a little extra with tips now and uh, be extra patient with uh, restaurant workers and grocery store workers because, man, they need it. <laughs> oh, everybody, everybody is right now, everybody's just exhausted. And that's, you, you hear that so much now. And when you ask people, how are they? And they just say, I'm tired. And, you know, that's more than just the physical tiredness of not getting enough sleep at night. It's kind of that emotional fatigue of, of just the hits just keep on coming. And, you know, if we can be nice, share a laugh, supportive, you know, whatever it may be, even my neighborhood, you know, at the, God bless my wife. She uh, volunteered me for the HOA a, a number of years ago. And uh, because all of them left but me this year, I became president, which I have no interest that, in doing whatsoever. That has got to be the worst job. No, it's definitely not the worst. <laughs> I, I live in a relatively small neighborhood, and we're all reasonable uh, for the most part. Um, but, you know, that that sent a couple of messages out that says, hey, just understand that people, you don't understand. I know a couple of things of, of the neighborhood just because of the job I do and, and things. And um, it struggles, challenges, seasons people are going through. And saying you never know what's going on behind closed doors, behind that wall. So, you know what you may think is is you making your point or or, or putting your foot down may actually just be rubbing dirt in a wound or making things worse. So why not let's just try to lift each other up a little bit and be supportive and be there for people and let's work through this together. And you know whether you believed in 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 what uh, Governor Bashir said or not. 
um, you know, the one thing I did agree with is that we're in this together. And, you know, you can't just because you're you're a Republican or a Democrat doesn't mean you you get to do it a completely different way. We're right. all dealing with nature together right now. And and I think the way to move the country forward is for us to actually have that positive dialogue and supportive environment that lifts each other up. It's a great opportunity, isn't it? it, it the question for me, are we learning from this? Are we willing to kind of let go our pride and say, let's let work together? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's so real. And it it's <laughs> it challenged the whole nation right now, and then we still not get it. <laughs> no, it, and it's actually interesting. What a what a good guest would be is international folks, somebody from Europe, somebody from Canada, um, to say, tell us how we did, uh, because it's very interesting to get the international viewpoint of how Americans handle a lot of things. But this <laughs> pandemic has been a big one. And, it, you know, it's kind of like watching the, the it's, it's kind of like hanging out. I, I always feel like Canada feels like we're the raucous neighbor in the apartment downstairs. <laughs> it's just like constantly, it's like, please let them go to bed at midnight tonight and not play loud music. I did see a video of a guy who was not from America. I can't remember where it was. I had to find it. But he, he, he went to a supermarket. The first they showed everybody complaining how there's nothing in the supermarket. And then he went into the supermarket and he's like, wow, <laughs> look at all this stuff. <laughs> you know, Because as Americans, we've become complacent with access to anything we ever wanted anytime we wanted it. Anytime, anywhere. Yeah. Anywhere, right? And Amazon made it worse, right? I mean, oh it's all Amazon's fault. But I mean, it's, it's it's I mean, it wasn't that way when we were kids growing up. You just you just couldn't have everything you wanted whenever you wanted it all the time. It just wasn't possible. And I think this pandemic has has taught that again. I can't believe you're on the HOA. I mean, you're everywhere. Tell us what's which what, how to follow you. I mean, I've seen you in a lot of different places. I think uh, Steve's got some slides up of your social media yeah, stuff. So we are now on. Um, I just became the chief medical correspondent for Fox Fifty Six. Um, and it really is not much different than what I was doing at the other stations. It's just kind of, you know, for the sake of a better term, they just finally put a ring on it, you know, finally right. made a commitment that, that goes both <laughs> ways. Um, well, they've and, made a big investment, I think 56, right? They've changed a lot of things oh, over they, there. They, so. they re, redid it. Re, they're just completely revamped, um, uh, brand new morning programs, four hours every morning. Um, it, it, it really is nice and they've really, uh, done a great job supporting what I'm doing and what I want to do from the healthcare standpoint. Uh, NASCAR still medical director for GMR Motorsports doing, uh, IMSA, uh, uh let's see, IMSA, SRX, NASCAR, uh, the team, the side team has added uh, road to Indy and then our Indy car safety team as well. I'm not over that one, uh, but do work with them uh, pretty closely. And then of course, Lexington fire, um, love working with the local fire and EMS. That's kind of my wheelhouse is, is that frontline street medicine. And then you're an ER doc on top of all that. I do that as well. And a, a husband and a dad and uh, got my 14 year old, <laughs> a 12 year old. We've got, um, uh, every time I go on a trip, I think we get a new pet. The rule is if they get a new pet while I'm traveling, I get to name it. Um, so we've had cats named Poops and Squeeze. And <laughs> That's a, dog, a good rule. A, a dog named Coco Von Scratch and Sniff. And we had Barnum and Bailey. We have Mr. McGee. Uh, Mr. Ferguson, Mr. T. Ferguson, and um, so that's that's the way we roll in my houses. We get new pets, I name them, and then stuff happens down the road. <laughs> I can't see that ending well for you, though. Oh, I mean, <laughs> so how many pets do you have right now? 
All right, so let's see. Uh, the, the Too kid, many? <laughs> the, kid, the kids are at least independent. Uh, we have two horses. So we have a horse named C. Bizkit. C with a dash and a B-I-Z-Z-K-I-T. He's trendy. <laughs> so C. Bizkit, a pony uh, that is my daughter's uh, name, Casper. He's white. Um, then we have the dog, Bailey. Her brother, uh, Barnum, we had to get rid of because they didn't get along. Um, then we had the cat. Is We have two cats. We have uh, Poops. And uh, squeeze the other one got let out and apparently became friends with a coyote. So poops and <laughs> they're not not great friends. They didn't. I mean, they disagreed. Maybe different sides of politics. So poops and then Mr. Ferguson. Um, let's see what else do we have? Oh, we have my oldest daughter decided she wanted chinchillas. So there, she has two chinchillas, but they stay in her room. And the only thing I have with that is ensuring that she cleans out that cage every Sunday so the whole end of the house doesn't stink. Thank. Gotta love animals. Yeah, we do. We do love our animals. We got our little Noah's Ark of of Jessamine County, where we're just welcoming things in, and then for the most part, let nature take its course. <laughs> Anybody got any additional questions as we wrap it up? I, I just one of the things I want to say is any closing advice in general for folks. Don't panic. Obviously, you said that at the beginning, yeah, but what what else? Don't panic. I mean, we're we're better off now at facing this. If if Delta would have happened, I mean, if Omicron. Would have happened at the beginning, we'd have been in real trouble, real big trouble. Um, this isn't great, but you know, we we can work with what we've got. Um, you know, people who are candidates for the vaccine and the booster need to get it um, just to protect you and everybody around you. You may be young and, and very healthy, but those that you're around may not be. And we don't know 100% who's going to have a bad outcome. Uh, make wise decisions. Uh, don't put yourself in a situation where you're going to have a huge risk for a spread. You know, we're seeing a lot of uh, small events, you know, whether it's weddings, funerals, um, parties, things of that nature where we have the spread. If you're feeling ill, don't go to an event. Cancel. This is a time where you get a free pass to get out of any type of engagement that you have. Um, I mean, used to, you'd feel guilty if you couldn't go to something you'd RSVP'd. This, you're actually doing a favor. Um, the masks, certain settings, hand washing, the masks, especially uh, with, with prevention of flu and RSV. Um, they may not be perfect for COVID, but they help a ton with some of these traditional viruses that travel on larger particles, such as flu. Uh, we had, I didn't see a flu diagnosis from March of 2021. No. Yeah. 2021, uh, March of 2021. No, it was before that. It was 2020. March of 2020 until about four weeks ago was the first flu I've seen. Wow. So we went 18, 18 months <laughs> That's crazy. So. so, you know, make wise decisions. Be nice to each other. We're going to make it through this. This will end. Um, and, you know, I hope that soon enough. And um, the thing is, I guess if this ends, I don't get invited back. No, I'm absolutely. The, we'll, we'll, talk about, we'll talk about NASCAR. No, we'll talk about NASCAR. That'll, see, that'll be perfect. Right? But hopefully by that time. <laughs> Next time we talk, COVID will be a afterthought. My my plan will be to have you as the first three time guest. Oh, perfect! So that opens up a whole lot of second time guests between now. <laughs> you can you can follow right after Doctor Fauci <laughs> and Senator Paul. I should I could still come in here when the heat's high and the humidity's up. And... <laughs> we could sell tickets and do a fundraiser for the church, Father. What do you think about that? No, with Fauci. Yeah, with Fauci and Rand Paul. So. <laughs> Well, listen, we thank you for coming. Uh, we'll have you back regardless of what happens. We hope the prediction's true that, that, so. that, that it, that it ends the way We're you're talking about it. it. So, Hey, Padre, can you, uh, give us a blessing that we all have patience and be kind to everybody or something along those lines. How about that? Well, excellent. 
So let's pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks. During the difficult time, we recognize you are with us. Your wisdom continue drawing us toward the gift of patience of the cross of your Son Jesus Christ to give us true sight. What it means to love, what it means to dedicate, what it means to commit for each other. And so we ask you to send your grace and blessing to all of us, our listeners, those who suffer and do us during the difficult time of this coronavirus, and so too all the first responder, healthcare workers, those who are dedicate the service to your Son Jesus Christ to guide us, give us a true peace of your love that we may truly be a true witness. To one another in the life we all commit to live, and we ask this to your blessing, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Thanks again, Doc. Until Thank next you, Doc. time. I appreciate time. it. Excellent. I'm Deacon Tim. I'm Deacon Dallas. I'm Father Lingwin. Good night, everybody. Thank you.